Welcome to Language on Purpose with linguist, teacher, consultant, and veteran language learner, Mary Lynn Kinberg. And here's your host for today's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We're so fortunate today to have on the show one of the leading experts on tone languages, Dr. Keith Snyder. He gives workshops on tone all over the world as a senior linguistics consultant with SIL International, and he's an author of two masterful books on tone. We'll be his classroom today as he explains the inner workings of tone languages and gives us some basic concepts that I think will bleed off some tone anxiety. So happy to have you on the show, Dr. Snyder. Welcome. Where are you joining us from? Oh, thank you, Mary Lynn. Uh, I'm really honored that you've asked me to share on your show. I'm uh, in Abbotsford, uh, British Columbia, near Vancouver. Well, you're our first Canadian, uh, and so listeners, you can listen for some of the telltale signs that he's Canadian as he talks, his accent. Dr. Snyder, can you tell us how you became interested in tone languages? Because I know you really love this stuff. Yes. To be honest, when I was uh, beginning my linguistics training, I was scared to death of tone. I didn't uh, particularly do uh, well in the phonetics uh, section that dealt with tone. Tone was taught minimally in my program, and so I went to the field feeling really, really uh, hesitant about getting into a tone language. So we started, and uh, to be honest, I, I, I fell flat on my face uh, in, in in the beginnings. So uh, that drove me to reading books on tone and studying it and taking it seriously. And then I began to try to figure out uh, the Chumburung uh, language, which we were assigned to in Ghana, and where we spent uh, some five years uh, working in that project. And as I began to, as I started working on it, I began to realize, oh, this is actually figure outable. And uh, so that was really uh, neat. And then I ran into a tone problem that I couldn't solve. And so that drove me into tone theory. And one thing led to another. And the more I got into it, uh, the more I loved it. And here I am, probably some over 30 years later, totally loving it. and. That's where I'm at. Well, it's so fun to have you today. What exactly is a tone language? Yeah, that's a good question, and I'm asked that uh, quite often. Um, well, a tone language is, uh, is a language where words or word parts uh, have different meaning depending on the pitch that they're uh, pronounced at. Here's an example from... Uh, Baole, spoken in Africa. So we have bo, sorry, bo, bo, bo. And that means break, bush, and bottom. So those words all mean different things uh, depending on the pitch uh, that they are pronounced at. Uh, we have many examples I could give you. I can give you some more if you like. I can say uh, uh, le tongue, le tongue, le tongue. Le tongue, and those mean uh, four different things. You can also have 
what's called a glide, correct? Or a contour pitch. Can you give us an example of that? So uh, a glide is, is really uh, two tones coming together on a single syllable. And so you can have uh, two kinds of glides. You can have a rising uh, glide and a falling glide. So a rising one would be something like ba, and a falling one would be ba. Because we're not used to hearing those, uh, they can be, we, we can get them mixed up. And even I'm quite okay with hearing it, but if I hear one of those in an environment that I'm not used to, uh, then I can get confused. For instance, uh, in word final positions, I'm very, very used to hearing uh, the differences. But when I hear them in the middle of a, of a phrase somewhere, I can actually confuse a rising one with a falling one. Uh, which is embarrassing and all the rest because I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. But but that, they're just tricky. But yes, and that's different from a level tone such as ba. So we have ba, ba, and those uh, ba means uh, they plural in the Kenyang language in Cameroon, and ba means uh, you plural in that same language. Where are tone languages spoken in the world? What are some of the major tone languages? Yeah, so uh, the main areas, uh, of course, we're all very familiar with Asia and Chinese. And a number of the languages in in, in Asia would be like Chinese and Thai and Vietnamese. Those are all tone languages. And then uh, Africa many people don't realize that most of the languages in Africa are tonal. And some of the more commonly known names would be like Zulu and Yoruba, Igbo, and and so on. There's a few tone languages, but not so many in countries like Papua and Papua New Guinea. The Americas have some. uh, The North American Native Indian languages Different ones of those are tonal. Down into uh, further south, uh, southern Mexico, a lot of tone in southern Mexico, and a little bit in South America as well. So that's that's mainly where the tone is, uh, is spoken. How does tone differ from intonation? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's another uh, commonly asked question that I'm quite happy to to answer. So I've uh, given some examples of a tone language where the word parts, you change the the word part or the word and change the tone and, and it means something different. In an intonation language, and English is an intonation language, we also use pitch to dis- distinguish meaning, just like in a tone language. But uh, the difference is that the pattern of tone is uh, associated with uh, phrases and larger constituents in um, uh, intonation languages, where and in tone languages, they're limited to words and and parts of words. And I can just give you examples from English, which you'd be very familiar with. So I can say, uh, John went with Joe. I can also say, John went with Joe. And uh, the first one was a statement, and the second one uh, was a statement that expressed surprise and incredulity. 
And so John went with Joe. John went with Joe. So the pattern is extended out over the whole phrase and changes uh, the, the, the meaning slightly. But the words are exactly the same in the, the phrase. And I can also substitute different words with the same pattern. So I can say, John went with Joe. Sue ate near Bev. Ruth rode a horse. Those are all different words in every one, but the same tone intonation pattern for those statement patterns. And then I can do the same thing with the, uh, the pattern of surprise. I can say, John went with Joe. Sue ate near Bev. Ruth rode a horse. So the difference is the, the pattern, the tone pattern on an intonation language is, is extends over a larger constituent than just a word. It's like a phrase or a sentence, whereas with a tone language, it's, it's a, a word or a word part. That's very helpful, Dr. Snyder. An aha moment for me from your book was discovering that the different underlying tone patterns are what is important and not to focus on the tones on individual syllables. Could you address that for us? Oh, I'd love to. Uh, that was an aha moment for me, too, when I made this uh, discovery. I mean, it wasn't my discovery. This was mainly a linguist at Stanford, uh, Will Laban, who, who was sort of the first to, to focus on that. Uh, but when, when it hit me, uh, it really made an impact on me, and it's revolutionized my approach to tone analysis. So Will used a language called Mende, spoken in uh, Sierra Leone, and it kind of goes like this. So we have five tone patterns that are realized on words that have a consonant followed by a vowel. Short word, and you have uh, ko, pa, bu, ba, ba. So they're not, they're not minimal pairs or anything, but uh, that's five patterns that you find on, uh, on words with one syllable. Could you say those again for us? <laughs> I can try. I, I don't speak this language. So, ko, uh, ba, mbu, ba, ba. So those are high, low, falling, rising, and rising, falling. All on uh, words, single words with one syllable each. So I had thought of tone, and most people do, as being tones that uh, are associated with syllables, just like that. Now, the problem with that is if you have uh, two syllables in the word, then you should expect something in principle. You could expect to find uh, 25 patterns, right? You could expect uh, high, 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 low, high falling, high rising, high rising, falling, and then you might expect low, high, low, 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 falling, low, rising, low, rising, falling, uh, falling, high, falling, low, and so on and so forth. And you, all those patterns could give you, in principle, 25 patterns on words. Well, that just overwhelmed me. Yeah, but the good news is that you don't actually get uh, 25 patterns. Uh, you only get five. 
And we had, remember, we had five on the the, the single-syllable words. Now on the two-syllable words, we're getting still five. And then when you go to uh, three-syllable words, uh, again, you have, in principle, with five tones on on single syllables, you would expect you might get, in principle, five times five times five, which would be 125 patterns, in principle, should be available on your three-syllable words. But of all things, and I'm a reasonable person, you know, languages won't give you all 125, of course. Well, hey, 50 or 60 ought to be a fair game. But what do you actually get? Five. Well, when you get that kind of stuff going on, I know there's something funny going on here. Now, that's not a coincidence that you get five, five, and five. And what's happening is that native speakers think in terms of patterns. And so in this language, you have five patterns. And it doesn't matter how long or short the word is. It just chooses one of those patterns, and it makes the pattern fit. It expands it or shrinks it, depending on the size of the word. And and that, and that same holds true in uh, many languages. Uh, whether it's uh, universal or not is debated, so I'm not going to get into that. But certainly it's very, very widespread. And I know you said in your book that native speakers – can more easily identify patterns than they can individual tones and single words, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and that's another thing that, in in my mind, just reinforces that the pattern is the thing to be focused on. So if you, you know, in in English, you know, if we have a word and we just say, "What's, what's that vowel there? Most of us can say, oh, well, that's E or A or R or whatever it is. and and the same thing in, uh, say, a tone language, uh, native speakers, you, you ask them, well, what's, what's the second vowel in the word or what's that consonant? And they can tell you straight away without even batting an eye. But if you say, oh, uh, what's the third tone in uh, that word or phrase? They can't tell you. So what they can do is they'll say the word or the phrase, and then they'll maybe hum or whistle the melody and then they'll tap it out to find out how many syllables. And then when they get to syllable number three, they'll say, oh, uh, that's high or low or whatever it is. Well, that tells me that um, the individual tones aren't really part of their thinking. They're thinking in terms of patterns. That's very important to know. When you move from words to phrases, do you still look for patterns? Uh, yes, I do, um, especially when you're uh, analyzing the language. Yeah, you're you're definitely focusing on patterns because uh, things change and uh, and adjust the 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 pattern in in uh, the phrase. And so, yes, always, uh, no matter what the constituent is that I'm focusing on when I'm analyzing it, I look at the pattern. Even if it's as short as one syllable, there's a pattern. Uh, it isn't just necessarily a single tone. You might have high, but then you could also have a contour, high, low, fall, which is a falling, comes as a falling pitch when it's on one syllable like that. But that still would be like a pattern of high and low. And so even if it's that short, I'm still looking at patterns. When it's a word, I'm looking at patterns with more than one syllable. When it's a phrase, I'm looking at the patterns of the multiple words. 
Well, Dr. Snyder, could you give some examples of grammatical features that could be communicated by tone? Yes, it's uh, not only uh, words that can be affected by tone, but the grammar also. I was helping some uh, Bible translators work on the Kenyang language in Cameroon, and uh, they have a, a real dandy, a, a beautiful little set here, which I'll, I'll try to pronounce for you. So we'll start, Bapa, Bapa, Bapa. And that means they spat, they are spitting, they have spat. So the grammar has changed. And then I can carry on and I can say, uh, so when I said that they spat, now I can change that to you spat. And they spat was bapa, you you plural spat would be bapa. So I can say bapa, bapa, bapa. And that's uh, you spat, you are spitting, you have spat. So we have six utterances here where the grammar changes. And um, and it's just tone is is the only difference. Well, I know that you work more on the analysis side of tone, but do you have some advice for learning tone languages? Yes. So for learning, as I've learned from uh, doing analysis and, of course, working with many native speakers of tone languages, pattern or, or melody of whatever constituent you're focusing on is what's all important. So in learning a tone language, you need to uh, focus on those patterns. So I would begin with dividing up your words into all the different patterns that they have. It's a limited number, so this is not the, not it's not like 125 patterns. It might be five or six or or ten but it's not going to be an unlimited number. So then uh, divide your words into all those different piles. And of course, you want to separate your verbs from your nouns and, and that kind of thing. And then focus on, get them into those little groupings, whether you do it on a computer or scraps of paper divided into piles. And then you learn to say and to hear those words, all the ones that are the same, learn them together and focus on learning to hear the differences between the different piles. And then I would have a key word for each pile and say, okay, my key word for, for pattern number one is house or whatever. And my key word for pattern number two is tree or something like that. And then you have all these words and then you would say, oh, well, this is a house word. That's a tree word, that kind of thing. And then when you start building sentences, uh, you want to start doing a contrast and, and a little replacement thing. So you might set up an exercise where you would say something like, okay, where is the book? And the answer that you would give then, the book is on the table. So then this will be a book pattern one. And then you would take another one from the same word pattern as book, and you say, okay, so where is the cup? And then the cup is on the table. And just work through all those words and those sentences that are all going to have the same pattern. Then switch the pattern, switch the word, and now get a tree word. And where is the tree? Well, the tree is on the table, doesn't quite fit semantically, but that's the idea. Again, it's pattern is king. 
Pattern is key. Uh, I also should mention uh, there's some other little things that can, tips that can help. If you're having trouble hearing pitch, get native speakers to hum it or whistle it. Uh, big, big help for people from Western Europe and North America. Uh, we have a lot of trouble hearing uh, tone. And, you know, if I say ba ba ba, well, just helps that much more. And so uh, I find when I'm working on uh, analyzing uh, a language I've never worked on before, the patterns and the things I run into are going to all be new. But uh, so I will, I think I know what I'm hearing is, is good, but I will still check with the native speaker. And at the beginning, I might get uh, him or her to to whistle uh, the pattern for me. And later, I will whistle it myself to them, and they can check me and say, oh, that's not right, and that kind of thing. Uh, So uh, that's a really good tip. Some people have suggested that you can use hand motions, sort of like raise your hand high for high and mid for low and low for low. I have not found that helpful. Uh, some languages the people get them the, uh, like like the word for high for us means high pitch and high in terms of height um, that's not necessarily how they view it, and so sometimes they'll just do it the opposite and they'll talk about oh high and they'll put their hand down here and low and they put their hand up here and it's just like uh, it's just a mess and I just yeah, stay away from that. It doesn't. That's not helpful. <laughs> At least I have not found that to be helpful. That's helpful. So we'll steer away from those hand gestures and aim more toward whistling. Okay, super duper language blooper. In talking with you and your experience learning Chumburung as a tone language. I thought that you would tell us a story about getting the tone wrong when you were learning the language. But surprisingly, you said that in Chumburung, even if you did mess up the tone, and it might sound a bit humorous, you could still get your meaning across. So why was that? Yeah, so uh, tone languages uh, were not all created equally. And so uh, it's very interesting. Chumburung. In Chumburung, the parts of the words are relatively long compared to uh, some other languages. So uh, words can have uh, two or three syllables in them and this kind of thing. And so when you have uh, two or three syllables, you've got, you know, if you've got got uh, nine vowels like Chumburung does or, or 20 whatever consonants in your language, uh, this kind of thing, and different ways of constructing syllables, you've got quite a bit of information there besides tone to communicate differences in meaning. And so the longer the parts of the words are, the more non-tonal, the less important it is that any given aspect is needed to communicate a meaning. So basically you have consonants, vowels, and tone. Those are the main things, and then syllable types. And so meaning gets communicated with differences in each of those. On the other hand, if you take a short, a language that has real short words, uh, like some of the ones I was reading uh, earlier, and uh, where you've got 
bah, bah, bah. Well, there's not a whole lot to help people. Uh, you've got one consonant and one vowel. Uh, you better get the tone right. Uh, and so languages like that, a lot of the languages in Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, have those short uh, words and syllable and uh, word parts. And so you're going to get a lot more bloopers in languages like that. In Chumburong, uh, we have like three, sometimes four syllables in a word, much less chance of messing up the meaning. So the functional load of tone is lower in a language like Chumburong and much higher in a language like Chinese. So thankfully for for me and my wife, we didn't have to have that problem so much. We don't have any real bloopers to share. Of course, we made our share of mistakes in the language, but and we sure, certainly messed up on the tone too. But our mess-ups didn't cause us too much trouble. But if you have the other kind of language, uh, yes, you will. You better get it right. Well, that's good news, actually, to know that even though you do have tone, there is a margin for error there. Thank you loads, Dr. Snyder. You can check out his two books on tone on Amazon. So it's over and out until the next time. Thank you. Totally my privilege. <laughs>